Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It was a building that brought joy to so many. It hosted classic games on the diamond and on the gridiron. The World Series was played there three times. An NFL playoff game was contested there. College football was played there. And of course, concerts featuring the Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, and so many others. The movie Major League was shot there. And it is also the site where Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant in a steel cage match. And next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to reminisce a little about a stadium long gone, but one that harbors great memories for so many, Milwaukee County Stadium. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes, episode number 110, Milwaukee County Stadium. Yes, something slightly different than my normal topics. Can a stadium be a forgotten hero? Good question. But. I will tell you this, there are so many ballparks, stadiums, arenas that have long since been demolished, but when you talk about them, they conjure up memories of days long gone, memories that put smiles on so many faces, and days that people can recall as if those days were yesterday. They remember the great heroes like a Hank Aaron or Bart Starr at Milwaukee County Stadium. And stars whom time has forgotten, guys like Bill Bruton, who hit a game-winning home run in the 10th inning in the Milwaukee Braves' first ever game in Milwaukee to give them a 3-2 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. And while the Braves and Brewers are probably most closely associated with County Stadium, we can't forget that the Green Bay Packers also called the stadium home for a number of years, 1953 through 1994. Yes, the Packers played anywhere from two to four games a year there before leaving Milwaukee permanently to call Lambeau Field home on a permanent basis. And who could blame them as Lambeau Field is one of the best in the National Football League. Joining me on today's episode of Sports Forgotten Heroes is Jim Crines. He just recently finished a book called On Story Parkway. (laughs) This is not a small book. 
In fact, it's over 600 pages. Jim talks about the history of the stadium over the first few chapters, from its birth through its last stand. And then he's compiled dozens upon dozens of stories from those who played there and those who had great memories to share. The book, not intended to be read in one sitting, not by a long shot, is really something else, a very unique concept. And if you are interested in getting a copy, listen closely. You must email Jim at jimcrines at gmail.com and he'll connect with you so you can order it. Again, that's jimcrines at gmail.com. J-I-M-C-R-Y-N-S at gmail.com to get your copy of On Story Parkway. All right, before we get to my conversation with Jim, as always, a few notes for you. Sports Forgotten Heroes is a proud member of the Sports History Network. Check it out at sportshistorynetwork.com. This is where you can go to find several podcasts about sports history. There's a lot of great content there for your listening pleasure. Also, don't forget to follow this podcast, Sports Forgotten Heroes, on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Instagram. Look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook as well. I make daily and weekly posts on all of these platforms. More information and stats on the stars of yesteryear, the stars I talk about. And it's where you can see some pretty cool pictures of everyone as well. And of course, check out SportsFH.com for more information on the Forgotten Heroes I talk about. More information about my guests, and if you have a question, comment, or an idea for a Forgotten Hero you would like to know more about, just fill out the contact form and I'll certainly reach back out to you. Again, that's sportsfh.com. As always, please give Sports Forgotten Heroes a five-star rating if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, and as always... Thank you for listening. Now, let's get into today's show about Milwaukee County Stadium with my guest, Jim Crines. And now joining me is Jim Crines, author of the book on Story Parkway, Remembering County Stadium. Jim, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Thanks so much, Warren. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Hey, so... Tell us about the book, On Story Parkway, Remembering County Stadium. Why did you decide to write it? And where can fans of Sports Forgotten Heroes and Milwaukee Sports get a copy of it? Well, uh, in keeping with your first part of the question, I've always been intrigued. Baseball has always been my game. And, um, you know, I enjoy some of the others. It's always been baseball, hands down. Um, growing up in Chicago and my first time seeing Wrigley Field and then moving up to the Milwaukee area and the first time seeing County Stadium, a lot of men can remember that first uh, moment of seeing that green, uh, just everlasting, beautiful greenery. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone listening to this 
can relate to that. So I covered the Brewers for 24 years um, in media, and I also wrote for their magazines. So I spent a lot of time at County Stadium, and it, it dawned on me that nobody had really captured the history of what went on there. And I, as much as I like uh, some of the new aspects of baseball, the Miller Parks and now Amphim Field and, you know, the new Comiskeys. My heart is in uh, Wrigley. My heart is in the old county stadium. It's at Fenway. And I don't know that I can describe why. I mean, it just is. And I think I needed to pay some homage to that structure. As much as it was dilapidated, as much as it was antiquated and... um Essentially, you know, it was a nice ballpark, obviously, when it was built, but I think a lot of that uh, came back to me, and I, I figured I wanted to be part of that again in a, in, a, in a corny way. I wanted to be part of, of all that memory, part of all that history, and for me, I've always been intrigued with the nuances and the periphery of of the things that go on in a ballpark. I'm intrigued by players, why they do what they do and how they do what they do rather than ERA, batting average and things like that. So it's always been intriguing to me to find the inner workings of a ballpark, the inner workings of baseball players. So as to point out for this project, um, I don't, I've written numerous books, but I don't consider myself per se as much as an author on this one, as much as a a conduit from all the folks that participated mm. in this book. It's 677 pages yeah, and it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's quite a thing. And then, um, but it's the fans, it's the memories from the fans, it's the memories from media, it's the memories from former players that are the foundation of this thing. And they're the structure of this project. And, Bud Selig did write the foreword, and I had some great chapters early on about some of the history of Milwaukee mm-hmm. Brewers. I had some uh, talk of how the uh, split from uh, Boston to Milwaukee. I just wanted to cover some cursory stuff that a lot of serious baseball fans already knew, but that all segued to to what is still the seminal baseball team in Milwaukee, which was the 1982 team. And I have mixed emotions about that, you know, success and or lack of total success. I, as I said earlier, I'm intrigued by the nuances, and this intrigued me as to why a city would still embrace so wholeheartedly something for coming in second. Mm-hmm. And that interests me. So in answer to your question in a little roundabout way, it's, I'm intrigued with the, the what's and the how's more than I am uh, just the stats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where can people get a copy of the book? Well, right now it's in transition. Uh, they literally have to email me right now. It was number one baseball book on Amazon um, for a few weeks. And uh, I did, I sold a lot of books more than I thought I would. Mm. And so now it's through me um, until I'm segueing. Costco's looking at it. Um, a couple other, a couple other uh, venues, Barnes and Noble, but they would have to get in touch with me right now if they want to, and I can give the email sure. later if you like. Sure. But um, it's it's something that um, you know uh, I've never anticipated the excitement as much. You know, I had media outlets. My background's in media, mm-hmm. so I had uh, nothing but re- people reaching out to me for this. I had morning shows. I had 
sports shows, all asking if I could come on for this. And that's that's not something that, uh, as a self-published book, that's not something that you're used to. I mean, you're used to selling a few copies of something, but this one really transcended. I had a deal for I had a deal for this book, and uh, things changed and morphed, so I ended up doing it on my own. But there was mm. a publisher with uh, with the intent of going with this project. And um, it didn't end up there. And for me, in a lot of ways, it's more gratifying because I got to steer this thing the way I wanted it to be. But again, you know, I keep coming back to the people that made this book possible, and that's the fans. I had 250 memories submitted. I had to call that down. I had 150 original photographs, uh, you know, probably 250 submitted. Um, Just never before seeing items Hmm. and, you know, just... The outpouring from people has been just extraordinary. It's like I can flip through that book now and see a name and remember the story. It's 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 really amazing, and I can't remember what I had for dinner, but I can remember <laughs> the names of these people, what they did. You know, I see a photo and I know who sent it. So it's been an extremely intimate thing and a very large thing. So I don't know; it's difficult to describe. Mm-hmm. But um, to have such an intimate knowledge of these people. And their memory, and the last time they went to the park with their father, the time they, you know, when Ray Crone of the Braves took his parents out there, and he has a photograph of his wife and his parents, and, you know, Anita Dalbeck uh, was on the field in a big debutante's dress, giving a Cadillac to Andy <laughs> Pafko, and, you know, you just see, I, I had a lot of friends in the Brewers locker room and the team, and seeing these guys with their hair down, so to speak, and seeing these guys you know, who they really are. And that all gets back to me, uh, me feeling comfortable in my skin with these guys. Right. Well, Jim, like you said, the book is almost 700 pages and about the first 150 really takes you through the history of how the stadium came about, the Milwaukee Braves being there, the Milwaukee Brewers, And then it's all personal memories. So let's go with personal memories first. And for you, Jim Crines, what is your personal fondest memory of County Stadium? Fondest. I have a memory that I'll get to secondly that is my most vivid memory. (laughs) But in terms of fondest... um, I don't know. I took in so many things like Henderson's season record on stolen bases. I was there for Molitor's streak, most of it, and the end of it. Um, it's funny. I can't come out with one, but let me tell you the one that I remember most sure. distinctly. Um, there's a loge in front of Bob Euchre. If you know the stadium, you know what I'm talking about. It's an area there where broadcast media would sit, the print media had a tendency to be, to be a little arrogant, and they had their whole area, and they looked down upon us in a figurative and literal sense, <laughs> looking down on us in this uh, mezzanine uh, corrugated tin area. And we had like a family down there, Warren. It was really strange among our broadcasters and radio and television. It was like a private club. So we sat right below Bob Euchre, who befriended all of us, and I think he actually befriended us more than the print guys. So... Len Casper was a good friend of mine who's now with the Sox, but he was with the Cubs mm-hmm. for their uh, play-by-play on television for a long time and the Marlins before that. So he and I go way back. I used to write songs for his band, and so we grew up 
hmm. together. So I had hurt, injured my left ear during a flight into D.C. many years ago. It descended too quickly, and I had a cold and probably shouldn't have been flying in the first place. So rule number one in any ballpark is don't take your eyes off the field when they're in play. So I was talking to Len about something, you know, so I'm turned to my right. And then I, I don't even know if I remember hearing the crack of the bat, but if you know anything about being behind a foul ball, a batter's foul ball, it comes up there like lightning. Sure. And all I remember him saying is, Jimmy, he yelled out, and he reached out his hand, uh, and it, he blocked my temple where this 150-mile-an-hour wow. ball was going. And uh, it slapped in his hand. It sounded like an infant being born, and it was uh, just swelled up his hand. But I'm, I'm honestly... I say in the book that he saved my life, and he did, you know, because it was just an amazing kind of thing to have happen to me. And even with that, I still love County Stadium. But, yeah, I mean, don't, kids, don't take your eyes off the field. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the literally the dumbest thing I'd ever done. If it hadn't been for Lancaster, I'd probably, honestly, probably would have died. It's funny. I, I... Well, what, what a place to die, though, right? Yeah, right. I mean, at a ballpark? Yep. Yep, it's funny. If you got to go, I mean, I could think of worse places. Yeah. Years ago, when my son was just about a year old, I was visiting family in Philadelphia, and we went to the old vet, and they got us great seats. We were sitting behind home plate, and um, I was never more nervous in my life. And I had these great seats, and I had to leave. I couldn't take it. Foul balls are whizzing by. I got this one-year-old infant in my hands. Maybe he was two. He was right around that age. And I picked him up, and we went out, and we sat in the center field seats. And I finally yeah, felt comfortable. Yeah, you didn't have no, no screens? Yeah, yeah, way back when. They, yep. No, they didn't. I mean, that's like a death sentence. No, yeah. I mean, even Wrigley, growing up, I think they just had the, you know, the one right behind home plate. But, you know, we've seen... I can understand that you did the right thing. I, yeah, I was no right way, off even the like uh, little girls at the game. Yeah, I was right I mean, off I'm the on, side on the of the my seat. If you're not paying attention, yeah. You know, my first Chicago Blackhawks game, someone got nailed with a puck. Yeah, near me, and I'm like, you know what? It behooves you to keep your eye on the ball <laughs> exactly. or the puck. Yeah. That, exactly. that but you did the right thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. You can't sit back there without yeah. protection. No, it was it was crazy. So let me ask you another question. So many people contributed to your book with their favorite stories, their big remembrance of County Stadium. Is there one that you heard that you said, wow, that's really cool, that you can share yeah. with us? There's an amalgama uh, amalgamation of a bunch of them that kind of come together. I think I mentioned a couple, but... I there was a situation, again, getting back to the nuances, I don't think anything was explosive, but I do think that uh, a guy named John Adam, who was the head trainer of the Brewers, and you'll see his memory in there, I attribute mm -hmm. a lot of the success of the stories to him. He's a real funny guy. You put a quarter in him and he'll talk for an hour. And he's he's given me so much access to the inner workings. One of my favorite stories is some... If you're not a Brewer fan, you might not remember Team Streak, where I think they won 13 in a row. And um, there was a big Easter uh, Easter Day game, and they're coming off the road. They were they were uh, pretty uptight because you know it's a lot to hold on your shoulders to maintain something like that. And John took it upon himself to have an Easter egg hunt, and uh, 
So what he did was this Easter Sunday, and they're all grumbling like, "Oh God, John, we don't want to do this." And but he said when the first guy found his egg, they all got pretty uh, pretty jazzed up as baseball players do that competitive <laughs> that competitive spirit, right? So. They all, uh, he hit a bunch of, we put their number on them. They're like, I got mine. And the other guys are like, damn it, where's mine? And they're all looking around. So he had four eggs that were special to him. So while everybody was came off the field from BP and infield practice or whatever, he went out there and he put Robin Yount's egg in center field. Then he went and put uh, Paul Molitor's on the side of the base because he said it rolled off. And he said uh, he couldn't do anything with B.J. Surhoff, who was behind the plate, so... What he did was he uh, the umpire was coming down the walkway right before the game. This was probably a sellout, and he explained what he was doing. The umpire uh, looked and he kind of looked into his bag and let him put the egg in there oh, into his ball cool. bag. That's cool. So they all get out in their positions and they're you know they're catching, playing catch or whatever. And Robin finds his first, and he picks it up, looking at it quizzically, and he looks to the dugout, and the whole dugout is cracking up. So he whips it on the ground with everything he has. And the ball, the, the egg explodes. Um, then we go over to Paul Molitor, who was taking grounders, and he um, he he picks up his egg, finds that he 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 tosses it at the dugout, but again it kind of busts up and rolls away before it reaches there. And then this is the funniest part of it when B.J. Surhoff, you know, uh, was sitting behind the plate, and the first pitch comes in, it's fouled back, and you know how catchers just reach their hand back yeah. for the next ball. Yeah. The umpire put an egg in his hand. <laughs> and he looked at it, you know, like, what the heck is this? And threw it. So there's so many stories like that that, that that mean something to me. And, you know, and I think that, you know, Ray Crone telling me about his family coming to the games. And, you know, we had so many. Um, one kid was a ball boy. For, I, sh- I should point out, Warren, that, as you know, a lot of this book is about other things that happen at County Stadium, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. It's not just baseball, even though the predominant amount of it is. But we had concerts. We had um, Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones. We had uh, the Green Bay Packers played there mm-hmm. from 53 to 93, mm-hmm. um, uh, four games a year. So, I mean, it was it was really their home field for four games a year until they left in 94. And um, they rebuilt Lambeau after that. But a uh, guy by the name of Bob Harlan, who was president and CEO of the Packers, for many years, um, credit to Milwaukee for the Packers still being around today. So he and I developed kind of a quasi-friendship. Tom Treblehorn and I have been friends since I started the book. Um, you know, he's been so helpful, but now we're email buddies. And so many people, Dave Baldwin of the uh, Pilots, I got to know, and he was the first team to come over. A lot of people listening know the, the history of the Pilots uh, spending just one season in the majors. And but she was looking for a team, and he purchased the pilot the last moment, a week before the season started. And all the all the uh, gear was on its way uh, to Seattle, and they switched to Milwaukee. They just turned on the road and went to Milwaukee, and they replaced the S with an M and kept, yep. basically kept the colors. Yep. And, I mean, that's a neat story in its own right, you know, that in one week before the season they get a ball club. And, yep. so all we, these and things, I did know, a podcast, living... and I did a podcast on the pilots and all of that. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so so much and so little there, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. You know what? And what a tragedy for the 
you know, Seattle. to be the, a team and then it goes away so quickly. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't get over that. A lot of people don't forgive the Braves for leaving Milwaukee. Sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about all of that. So Bud Selig, uh, the old commissioner of baseball, former owner of the Brewers, like you said, he, he, he wrote the intro to the book. You cover a lot about Bud. Um, I particularly like the story he told about he and his friend Herb Cole finally realizing that Major League Baseball was coming to town when the Boston Braves moved to Milwaukee. So I got a couple questions in here. And let's start it with this. What is it about baseball that Milwaukeeans, are you Milwaukeeans is a different term, what is it about baseball that Milwaukeeans love so much? Well, it's kind of strange. I don't know if it's baseball as much as they love devotion, they love loyalty, they love, um, you know, they love that sense of being part of something. I'm not saying they don't love baseball, but they're the same way with their football teams, the same way. I moved up here from Chicago, so I... It takes a while for people to get used to you when you move to Wisconsin. They just aren't as effusive as other places. And this is back in the 70s. And it took a while, but these people, um, and I've heard this from many, many people, they live and die with their sports. And But with Milwaukee, and I'll use the 82 team as an example, that they knew those guys were giving 100%. You know, they weren't the prettiest. They weren't all the most talented. They were kind of, they had some great players. But fans knew, excuse me, that these guys were going to run through a wall for you, hence the name Harvey's Wallbangers. But I really think, Warren, that that's part of it. And sure, they love their baseball, but it's, it's something about these folks that really reward loyalty you know they really reward people going all out for them and it's true in in the packers it's true i mean think of how many sellouts there were with the packers mm-hmm. and they, they were lousy mm-hmm. forever and and with baseball you know we draw three million a year when was the last time we were in serious contention and i think that again it gets back to if you're good to me i'll be good to you mm-hmm. and as long as they smell that you're given 100%, and believe me, they can smell when you're not. Um, that's one thing about Milwaukee fans, they do know. But the interesting thing about Milwaukee to me is Robin Young could have played anywhere after his first few years. You know, he was just a stellar ball player. Mm-hmm. But with John Adam, told me, he was friends, <clears throat> he's friends with Robin. He calls him kid. I don't call him kid because I don't know him, but he can call him kid. And he said... Robin attributes Milwaukee with part of his success because had he been in a different market, he would have been torn apart by critics. You know, New York would have ripped him up, L.A. And I think that he liked Milwaukee for the very reasons I've cited here. So, you know, why does any city love baseball? I don't know. But, I mean, if we're going to take a team, uh, I think that, you know, being in media – we didn't rip our players as much as New York and L.A. would. We were more, I don't want to say homers, but we were more understanding and, and less. We wouldn't do a story on, you know, something that was salacious. I think we, we, we respected them enough as ball players, But I think in a lot of other cities and towns, you know, they do do that. They, they attack players and go for the headlines. So it all gets back to people in Milwaukee being very simple for the most part. 
in a great way. I mean, this city has grown like you wouldn't believe in the last 20 years, but we're, you know, we're, we're down to earth people. Midwestern people are pretty down to earth. And, um, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And we just aren't into all the pageantry and all the, all the BS that goes around so many places. So in a, a long-winded answer to your question, uh, if it is baseball, I think they're more in tune to people than they are anything else. And I think that, again, if you're good to them, they'll be good to you. Mm-hmm. Well, the people of Milwaukee wanted a baseball team for the longest period of time, a team that they could call their own, and finally they got one when the Braves came to Milwaukee. Then the Braves left for boss uh, for Atlanta, and then the Pilots, as you noted, moved to Milwaukee. So, tell us a little bit about what it was like the first time Milwaukee got a team, and then finally when Milwaukee got a team the second time around. Very unusual for a city to get two shots at it. No, I agree with you, and I think that as I mentioned a minute ago. Um, well, they got the team. Lou Perini wanted to um, a fresh start. They'd won in Boston just five years before. Um, they had won, and uh, the pennant. And uh, so there was that whole thing. You know, the county stadium was built on county funds, hence the name. But not a lot of ballparks were done that way. And the park was completed and ready to go in 1953, but we we didn't have a tenant. Uh, we didn't have an MLB tenant. We had the AAA Brewers who were ready to come in and uh, they never got the chance because the Braves moved in. But I think that what I touched on a few minutes ago about the loyalty, this town went berserk for the Braves. I mean, they, they gave everything they had. They, um, they supported them. They gave them the showered them with all the incentives and breaks and these Guys coming from Boston, I don't think they really got it, you know, and and you may know Boston better than I do. I just don't think they felt the effusive uh, praise, admiration, and love from the Brewers fans. So they had parades when these guys just came to town. And then the first three or four years, it was just nothing but a love affair. And then there's some culpability on both sides, I think, that things started to diminish. I think, you know, Perini, in my research kind of, he had his eye out the door to the better deal. You know, mm-hmm. Atlanta later was going to give him the money. And um, this, you'd be hard-pressed to tell me that he wasn't into the bigger deals. And so they kind of backed off on the quality on the uh, field. They traded some some stars, um, started to tighten their belt a bit. And then the fans retaliated by not coming to the park. And so, you know, you can point fingers back and forth to chicken or the egg on that one. But um, tenants fell dramatically. And uh, so, and then they gave them reason to start looking elsewhere. Atlanta provided them with money that Milwaukee never could mm-hmm. in terms of television deals and um, marketing and things like that. So when they did leave, there was, you know, Bud Selig relates. I really believe these people were heartbroken. I mean, I'm going to be 60, so I wasn't, you know, here then. I didn't know the Braves. But mm-hmm. uh, I do know that a lot of people never forgave the team for leaving. And they, to this day, they've never attended another ball game, uh, which is kind of kind of crazy. I mean, <laughs> things yeah, change. Yeah, yeah. But um, so in answer to that, yeah, Milwaukee, I don't know that you could have ever found a town more grateful and more loving and accepting of a team 
So then the honeymoon wore off. Um, for like I say, for two for both sides, kind of rubbed each other. They left. So Bud Selig tried. Uh, he's a pretty determined guy, and uh, you know he may not be the swankiest, he may not be the flashiest, but you'd be hard pressed to find a guy that was more steadfast and wouldn't take no for an answer. So since the Braves left until 1970, he tried, as you know, brought White Sox games to to uh, County Stadium, mm-hmm. regular season White White Sox games, because they were terrible at Comiskey. And Art Allen owned the Sox then, and he was just tickled. There was a point where he wanted to sell the Sox to Bud Selig, but his brother interceded and killed that deal. And uh, so he he kept on reaching out. You know, there were, there were other options for him to get a team, and things fell through. And it really started to look pretty bleak until he got the Pilots. And I think that you know, they were lousy for a long time, but I don't think that that diminished Milwaukee's. They, As you said a minute ago, it doesn't happen that you get another team. It doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I can only think and of they, uh, three other cities. I, th- You know, Seattle twice. They had the Pilots and now the Mariners. Kansas City with the Athletics and now the Royals. And Washington, right. they're on their third franchise. But it's not commonplace. Yeah. And Milwaukee, who the heck wanted to come to Milwaukee? I mean, <laughs> Milwaukee's a small city, and but that, I think that makes it more intriguing, Warren, when they you see a smaller city like Milwaukee getting it again. And it's hard to say whether MLB really wanted a team here. You know, they looked at Montreal and gave them an expansion uh, franchise. And, and I think that... You know, Milwaukee was a flyover city for a long time, but you got to give you got to give Selig and his crew a lot of credit for making that happen, and um, he's the sole reason we have baseball in Milwaukee today. So that's why I spend a lot of time on him in the book. I, I'm intrigued. You know, you mentioned Herb Cole. These kids, these guys grew up together as kids. They were young, you know, ten year olds together. And and for those that don't know, Cole went on to become a U.S. senator right. for a long time. Then he owned the Bucks, and uh, so they went to Madison together, University of Wisconsin Madison, and the same fraternity. It's just strange how these guys have had a lifelong yeah, friendship. But exactly. another thing, in my experience with this book, is is Henry Aaron and uh, Bud Selig's friendship, and I was blessed to conduct probably one of the last interviews with Henry Aaron for this book. And I um, I dedicated it to him. And when I was a kid, when he first moved up here, I used to deliver his newspaper. He lived two flights above us in a in a, in a high rise. Oh wow! And uh, I used to go up. We were seven oh nine. He was nine oh nine. And I used to go up there. And I only met him once. But this is uh, it was just an amazing experience. The year before, I had kept the headline of of his home run. And then the year later, he was back with the Brewers. And I got to, uh, I met him once. He came out to the door in the shower sandals. And I actually reminded him of that some 40 years later. You know what I mean? That's it. I, he goes, oh, really? Yeah. He goes, I don't remember, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the neatest thing for me in that interview was I, I said, Mr. Uh, Mr. Aaron, and I was humbled by this interview, Warren. I've interviewed them all. Uh-huh. But I was, I asked Lon Casper um, what I was nervous, and I said, how should I broach an interview with Henry Aaron? He said, just ask him what it was like trotting onto that field for the first time, you know, in County Stadium. That's exactly what I did. And, and I asked him another question that I'll always remember. I said, 
what would you have done if it weren't for baseball? And he thought for a second and laughed and said, oh, no, I don't even want to think about mm. that. And so I've got that memory with Hank Aaron, and nobody can take that away. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, wow, a lot of stuff we covered in terms of um, the Brewers' history, the Braves' history, and then the concerts that were there. And Bob Hope did a gig there, and Jehovah Witnesses had huge gatherings, and the Ice Capades were there, and WWE. And um, so all that kind of comes into the big boiling pot of County Stadium, and in answer to your very first question, why, I mean, people have come to me since then and said, oh my gosh, nobody has done anything on it. And um, I am going to say something here, because uh, I can. The Milwaukee Brewers didn't help me one iota on this thing. Oh, boy. They, uh, they did not lift a finger, and it's my guess that they, you know, are not happy. Because the, this goes into my thinking on baseball, and stop me if you don't want to hear any of this. But this goes into my thinking that, you know, you got to respect your past, and the Brewers don't do that. I had a pitcher, mm. I don't want to say his name, but a very well-known pitcher said, the Brewers didn't give a damn about me after I left. I've had other people say, bleep the Brewers, other major people that you know of, that I won't say their mm. names. But I, I'm not happy that they treat their legacies that way mm, you know what i mean interesting I, I think it's unfortunate this mark adonacio regime and it's all a different world now i don't have to tell you when they mm-hmm. sold the team in 2000 or whatever it was uh we've embarked on a, a disneyland kind of thing now a disney world where rick schlesinger actually uh ran some form of disney world and he came to take over the brewers it's not my game anymore warren i I've, i hate to say it i've i've grown uh, let's just say we're separated right now. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> we're trying to rekindle. I mean, I don't know if anyone else feels that way, but I don't need. I miss the times of sitting in the bleachers with a friend and having a beer, and while they're warming up, talking to each other, not on my phone, not not need to be blasted with music, not need uh, all this flash from a scoreboard. I don't want any part of it, and uh, I don't mean to sound like. I mean, I'm like I say. I feel like I was 21 yesterday, but I'll be 60, and I yeah. <laughs> I only want to do things I want to do, and I, I, I would rather go to a, a minor league game. I'd yeah. rather go to a, a neighborhood game here, the Chinooks, who played on the road. They're uh-huh. a wooden bat league, and I don't know. I'm, I know you didn't want to talk to someone yeah. who's sour on MLB <laughs> it's okay. baseball. But. It's all right. It's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting viewpoint. Let's, for a moment, though, let's go back to the other team that played there that you talked about, the Packers. Yeah, First, yeah. they were there from 53 to 93, like you said, for 40 years. Um, for, for for those of us who are not from the area, just quickly, how far is it from Milwaukee County Stadium or where Milwaukee County Stadium was to Lambeau Field? Okay, I'm right in between the two almost where I live now on the lake. And uh, it takes me about 35 minutes, 40 minutes, depending on traffic, to get to Miller Park or County Stadium, what it was. So 45 plus, it's an hour 15 from here to Green Bay. Okay. Hour 15 plus 45, so two hours. Two hours. All right, so let me ask you this. How hard or was it hard for the players on the Packers to split time between the two stadiums? You know, I've asked a few of that. Don Horn, who played for Lombardi, I talked to for this book, and he they liked coming to Milwaukee because it wasn't Green Bay. And... uh if you've ever been to Green Bay, there's the Packers, and that's probably it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they enjoyed coming here. Don Horn said he met his wife here. Um, 
it's hard, you know, if it were the other way around, you know, they played Milwaukee and then went to Poughkeepsie, you know, I could see them being a little less enthused. But at least the guys down here, you know, uh, some of the some of the guys got haircuts they couldn't get up there, and they there was a lot of love for coming down here, believe it or not. And they actually got a lot of special treatment from the Brewers. Bud Selig did more for their locker room than he ever did for the player, the Brewers players. <laughs> they they wanted the Packers down here in a big way. I think there was some talk about, you know, like I said earlier on in the conversation, that Bob Harlan told me special friendship with Bud Selig is a large reason the Packers are a success today. And he basically gave them carte blanche to do whatever they needed in Milwaukee. So in answer to your question, I think most of them that I talked to enjoyed coming to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And And what about for the fans? that used to go to County Stadium to see the Packers play. How disappointing, or was it disappointing, to see the Packers move full-time into Lambeau? And well, you there, have to remember. Yeah. Was there ever any uh, talk County, about putting them in Miller Park? Well, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, no, um, I'm asking but, if there ever was. Oh, God, no. I, if you've not been to Lambeau, that's got to be one of the well, premier. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like. The world right now. I mean, like a game. No, but I do want to touch on. Um, they, they, they were loved down here. When they left, um, you know, it was a business decision. You know, Bob Harlan knew what he was doing. He gave them a gold package. I don't know if you're aware that he gave them four games a year up in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he stripped them. He, uh, he knew and, and, and paid his paid respect to the Milwaukee. And, and I got to be honest, I don't think anybody really cares. They love, they love Lambeau. And I mean, Milwaukee County Stadium was a lousy place to watch football and all the teams are on the same sideline. I, to the person, I mean, they'd rip up that old ball field and give Bud Selig an ulcer about ripping up his field. And so it was a lousy place to watch football. So I, if I were a season ticket holder of four games a year, I'd rather have gone to green Bay anyway. And like I said, um, from Milwaukee proper, it's just like an hour and a half uh, compared. I was, you know what I mean? Two hours, hour. It's not a bad drive. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think people were not at all. I mean, yeah, they. If he hadn't given them the gold package, yeah, I think there'd be a lot of animosity. Mm-hmm. But it's like saying, well, you can watch this in a much nicer place. So. It's nothing but farmland between Milwaukee and Green Bay. It's an easy drive and a, a spectacular stadium. So I think that, you know, if there was some disgruntled folks, it, it went away pretty quick. Okay. So Milwaukee County Stadium itself, you know, like you said earlier, there was no tenant when they when they built the stadium. They took a chance on building the stadium without a full-time tenant. And there were so many obstacles, and you talk about this in the book, funding falling through, problems securing land, World War II, the Korean conflict, just so many hurdles to clear. It was a very long process to get the stadium built, again, particularly without a tenant. So how did they finally secure funds to build the stadium. Well, there were bonding bonds. There were um, a multitude of efforts to kind of do this. And I think that <clears throat> Milwaukee folks are, are pretty, cl- they like their keep their wallet closed. 
um, for lack of a better term. And I think that it took a lot of cajoling and a lot of uh, uh, politicking to get these folks to say, look, you know, this is what we need. This is how we're going to do that. So they sold a lot of bonds. They uh, they had um, you know, communal effort in the communities. It was something that, you know, I can't imagine happening today. So it was really a, a coming together of folks that figured, you know, there were still a lot of people that didn't want to do it, and county board and of people like that. But I think they just figured, you know, we have to do something like this to move forward. And so, like you said, there were obstacle after obstacle, but they they borrowed from Peter to pay Paul. They did whatever they could, break open piggy banks, and um, just to make it happen, you know. And I think the odds of that happening then were pretty slim, but they defied those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now there is a stadium, but no team. And rumors swirled for a couple of years, but nothing concrete. And then two teams were really floundering in the cities in which they were playing. You had the Boston Braves and the St. Louis Browns. And ultimately, it was Lou Perini, who we talked about just a little bit about uh, uh, just a short time ago. It was Lou who moved his team, the Boston Braves, to Milwaukee. Why the Braves and not the Browns? Well, I think it's Bill Vec was the part of the issue. I think Bill, as we all know, was, I, I think he was a crazy genius. Um, I think Perini had, well, you got to remember Perini had a relationship with Fred Miller, mm-hmm. uh, Fred Miller of Miller Brewing. And uh, so there, that was probably 90% an answer to your question. I don't think the Browns really ever had much of a chance. They certainly tried. Um, I think that Perini's relationship with Miller was open and shut in terms of the Braves coming. And there's one thing somebody told me about Fred Miller that I also have to thank Miller Coors for being so gracious with this book. They gave me a bunch of photos and they were very kind. And, um, but Fred Miller died in a plane crash and had he not perished in that plane crash, a lot of people have said the Brewers or Braves never would have left town. Because he had that much of a love for this, and he was that much of a staple of the community, so I think it's the relationship there that was pretty much uh, sealed. And and if the Browns had any chance at all, it wasn't near what <clears throat> the relationship between Miller and Perini was established. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about the stadium itself, Jim? At the time, I guess you might be able. Or you could have called it a cathedral, five million dollars <laughs> to build. What were cathedral, some of the yeah? What were some of the great features about the stadium, and what made were there it, great features, Warren? What are you talking about? Great features. All right. Well, of what were some stadium? of the nuances? <laughs> what were some of the nuances? And well, I don't think they became nuances till it was an old park. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, tell us about the stadium. A, 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 I mean. You know, it became the relic that we love. Like a friend of mine said it was a dump, but it was our dump. You know, I mean, it's like you call, I call my brother a jerk, but you can't. And it it was like a ballpark that, you know, I mean, I can't, it's difficult to think of anything, you know, charming. It was just, uh, uh, but the funniest thing about that is that for us in those days, it was what went out on the field. 
You know what I mean? Uh, we didn't think we were sitting in old seats. We didn't think we were sitting in a dilapidated bleacher. I never went to County Stadium and said, wow, this is a horrible place to see baseball. I went to County Stadium because it was a ballpark with a major league team. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I honestly mean that. I mean, never once do I remember. As long as the beer was flowing and the guys were on the field, I couldn't have cared less. And I don't remember once saying, gee, I wish I had a roof, or gee, I wish I had a big flashing scoreboard to watch, or gee, you know, play some music till I can't hear the person next to me. I mean, County Stadium, I mean, you, anytime they did something, it was like putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> and I mean that, I mean that lovingly. Uh-huh. I mean, I really mean that lovingly. I, they tried a suite, you know, they tried to do a suite before Miller Park was even... I mean, you, we haven't touched on the, the, the tornado that was getting Miller Park and how nobody was going to see that happen. We could have uh-huh. lost baseball again. But, but getting back to County Stadium, at the same time, I don't think there was one special redeeming feature about it. It was a green grass, and it was, you know, it had a wall that guys would run into. and It was so open. I mean, such open spaces that mm-hmm. you, you grow up with that memory now. I. I fear for these kids growing up in Miller Park with their cell phones and yeah. being basically seeing baseball inside. They will never know what it was like. Right. So, in answer to your question, I mean, I can't think of one amenity that I was enamored with with <laughs> County Stadium, um, but I do know that I would take it a hundred times quicker than I would any other ball new ballpark today. What does that say? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, I go shopping at Goodwill because I like the retro stuff. I, the hats, I, jerseys I have are all retro. I don't like any of the new stuff. And I think it, it, the, the analogy is not that off there, Warren. I think that we went to County Stadium to see baseball. I didn't want to be charmed by the big urinals or, you know, I didn't care if people were spilling beer on each other or the occasional fight in the bleachers, it's become too antiseptic for me sometimes. But I think that everything I wanted was on the field, and I can't remember one single. It was Bernie Brewer's chalet when he'd slide down into a mug of beer and balloons went up. But that kind of waned when I got into high school. It didn't mean that much to me anymore. But all all of it was on the field, 100%. For so long, at least... The way I look at it, Milwaukee has had a tough time or had a tough time with pro sports teams. You know, just now the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks played each other in the Eastern Conference Finals of the NBA playoffs. I think there are many out there who would be surprised to learn that the Hawks actually were in Milwaukee at one time. They were the Milwaukee. I didn't learn that when I watched it on the NBA. Yeah, they were the Milwaukee Hawks from 51 to 55. Then they moved to St. Louis before moving to Atlanta. The Braves, they were only in Milwaukee from 53 to 65. And now, of course, the Brewers have been there since 1970. And the Packers, you know, one of the originals since 1921. And the Milwaukee Bucks have been there now since 1968. Why do you think, and you sort of touched upon this earlier, Milwaukee had difficulty or didn't support their teams regularly like they do now. Why did the Hawks and Braves have to leave Milwaukee? 
Well, I can't speak to the Hawks. I don't know what the climate was for basketball then. I mean, it was probably a totally different world. But as far as the Braves, I don't know. I mean, Milwaukee is a tough town to to really embrace in that way. But again, we're going back to why, basically you're asking why you think we lost teams in the first place? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, you know, when it's, and, and, and you know, the other part to it is when a city loses a team, it's like a death. And, you know, when you look at the Braves, it was so disheartening for Milwaukee to lose this team that yeah. it supported better than any other city had supported its team. And, you know... Perini neglected the team, but I guess the neglect of of Perini, yeah, if he's not going to care about the team, then I'm not going to care about the team. There had to well, be. Well, he already proved that by leaving Boston. I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to knock Perini, but it sure seemed like he had always had one foot out the door, and. um to me, that doesn't engender loyalty. You know, I mean, the Packers, for lack of a better term, were horrible when I grew up in the 70s. I don't think they ever won. I mean, a couple of games here and there. But you still couldn't get a seat. I mean, what does that tell you? You know, I mean, these games would sell out. And in L.A., there were probably would have been 10 people there. And I don't even know if I'm exaggerating. Mm. So you have to ask yourself, about that kind of fan base, and, and they are rabid. And, and, and since 1982, I mean, why are they excited about it? I mean, I don't understand, you know, and the Bucks, you know, I won't go into too much history, but, you know, they, there's players I remember. I remember the beginning of this conversation, uh, you asked why, uh, and I was always enamored with the periphery, but I'm enamored with Sidney Moncrief, Paul Pressy, you know what mm, I mean. I'm in, in sure. and, and Bob Lanier's the and old the old times. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Doctor J was a god to me, and these kids today. When I say kids, I mean you know LeBron's and I mean uh, you know Kobe's and all that. And I grew up with Michael Jordan, and uh, those were just lofty things to me. I, I don't know. It's just. The old guys to me represent what I was, and they were they were a lot of more working guys and Larry Birds and the. It just seems different to me. God, I never thought I'd be this old guy complaining about sports <laughs> not being as. You know, I mean, you I look hear you, now, man. Those, I hear you. I mean, you see these young kids today, and you know they don't give a damn about anything except getting paid. And sure, they want to win, but they they go to the next city that wants to give them the guaranteed contract. But I think that goes back, you know. There's a love of baseball that, as I said once earlier in this conversation, I've lost a lot of it. I'm sorry. I, you know, I I love baseball more than anything, but I don't know if that's the age thing or whether the money is wrecked for me or the ambiance is wrecked for me. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things. So, But, I again, this all points back to why I wrote this book or why I put this book together because I'm yearning and crying and pain for that kind of experience again. Because you can't take that away from us. We had a life there. We don't, I don't have that anymore. I don't share that with the players anymore. And, you know, did that happen to our fathers? Did they say, you know, we don't have the Ted Williams anymore? We don't have the, you know what I mean? I don't know. Is it a generational thing? Or do we lose something in the translation? Mm -hmm. I think it's losing something in the translation. I mean, 
you know, Ken Griffey uh, Jr. and all these guys. That, to me, I would take ten Ken Griffey Juniors over one Ryan Braun. You know, I, what hear I mean, you. just I don't know what I, I don't know what that is. I mean, old curmudgeon. You know, give me one <laughs> Johnny Bench, and you can have four Jonathan Lucroys. You know, it's what I mean, it's just a different game. It's it's, just, it really it, is. Yeah. It really. Is. Well, we we lost in innocence. Let's be honest. Yeah, we lost when we sat around with the baseball cards. Yep. And now it's been taken over by video games, and we've lost so much of the the tactile element of all that. You know, I mean, when we used to hang out and get those helmets, remember the plastic helmets sure. for these guys and all our teams. You know, when I was had the A's when I was ten years old, Bert Campaneras, you know, Rally Fingers, all those guys. It just, you know, I think that in, when we were younger. We weren't, uh, the analogy between cell phones and the flashing of the stadiums now, they have to. These kids will lose, they still lose interest. When was the last time you saw a kid paying attention to the game and not on his cell phone? You know, I mean, I'm sorry, that's, it's, it's not the same thing anymore. And it, it's, again, it, that, I hear that's you. why I wrote the, put the book together, because I figured I owed myself that much. And I owed, I owed County Stadium that much. Well, you know what I mean? I owed I owed County Stadium a chance to give it a nice eulogy because, you know, all this other crud we have to deal with today. But I really felt, you know, I, I'm not saying that was my impetus, but I am saying, you know, seeing the people's response to it. I have guys buying eight copies of these things, wow. asking me to sign them, giving them to families. I have people from Puerto Rico asking for it. Um, just Just a weird outpouring of people saying thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, really? You know, you're thanking me? And it was just, what What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a lot more of us than we think mm-hmm. that do miss that, that mm-hmm. miss that, you know, interaction with players that they used to have and being close to them on the field. Because they were one of us then. They yeah, weren't superstar billionaires. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, and the one thing I want to bring up is the parking area. People talk about this all the time. To get into the clubhouse, they would literally have to walk from the parking lot to the clubhouse, and people were there. They literally had to walk through people, the fans, until they, there was no other way around it. It wasn't like they drove underground parking, you know. Now they had to go and walk right by the fans. And I think, you know, that's the neatest thing for me is, you know, you'd have your Robin Yelts walking by these kids. And where are you going to get that today? We've lost that connection. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a grand old stadium for sure, and, um, you know. So you say. I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> well, it was an old stadium. Let's put it to you. I think we can agree on that. It was utilitarian. The uh, same designers did Cleveland, so. Well, it didn't want to go without a fight if I follow the story correctly. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, if I have my facts mixed up, which wouldn't be an unusual thing, um, I think the final game was supposed to be played in 1999, but the Brewers still needed it at least for a part-time in 2000, something like that. Um, well, you know about the, the crane accident. Right, exactly. And, you know, what a horrible thing. A couple of guys lost their lives. There were, there were well, del- one anecdote. I got to tell you one thing that's really shakes me to the core Three people died during the building of Miller Park. And listen, three people died during the building construction of County Stadium. Wow. Wow. Isn't that a strange thing? And nobody, anyone I showed that to, it was in the paper, 
they were like, oh my goodness, that's a really sad, and I mean, linkage, but that's really weird, don't you think? It, it definitely is. There's so many weird things like that, and a lot of things that we that we find out about. Um, but to get Miller Park built, getting the land, again, the political support, dealing with the strike short in 1994 season, so many obstacles, right? You had all these obstacles for the first stadium, and I guess it's not that unusual that you have to clear hurdle after hurdle to get a stadium built, but like you said, there were a lot of similarities, and then the tragic accident during the construction all led to significant delays that extended the life of Milwaukee County Stadium. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this stadium didn't want to go. I was just going to say it didn't want to go. You know, and maybe it shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I wouldn't mind getting back to it. It's funny. A lot of more people feel that way than you think, Warren. Mm. Well, your, ba- your book recounted so many stories from so many players from baseball and football, and they all spoke about their favorite memories. And I asked you in the beginning of today's episode to, to share a story or two with us um, about Milwaukee County Stadium, whether it was a memory of yours or somebody else's, and I was hoping you could share one more. Oh, let me, um, you know, it's been a while. I did a lot of press on this and I'm, I'm a little spent. Well, anything from Bart, Bart Starr, any of the Packers, um, you know, is there any yeah, other? Well, I mean, I did talk to Chris Jackie. I don't know if you remember the last game played at County Stadium was Brett Favre. Um, he, Brett Favre was crazy you know he was a talented crazy guy and he would do make, drive mike holmgren crazy so he he did a scramble and they would beat the falcons on a last second touchdown and that's one of those things that live in in folklore in milwaukee i think that one sports memory um is is indeed that one and i talked to chris jackie for the book and he didn't even realize he made the last point at county stadium with the extra point wow. he goes oh my god i did do that didn't i I mean, here's a guy, you know, 28 years later, I had reminded him of what he had done. He never even thought about it. And then um, I think that Cecil Fielder hitting a home run out of the ballpark, I talked to Dan Plesak, who has been a friend of the book, and uh, there was a sports reporter, is a sports reporter named Jim Paschke, who now is the play-by-play-by for the Milwaukee Bucks and has been for a long time. So before the game, they're talking, and Plesak says to... uh, says to Jim Paschke, you know, I just got a divorce, you know, and I got a new dog, and I'm trying to think of a name for the dog. He says, and he, can you help me with that? And Jim goes, you know, I'll think about it, you know, I'll do my best. So the game went on. Um, so later that night, uh, police act faced Cecil Fielder, and uh, he delivered whatever, he delivered a fastball, and Cecil Fielder literally knocked it out of County Stadium. That, that had not been done. And so after the game, police ex understandably upset. He comes into the the uh, clubhouse and he sees Paschke and says, I know what I'm calling the dog, bleeping Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> so those are things. I mean, if we sat here and, and went fingered through the book, you know, I'm sure there's many more that come to mind. It's just, uh, you know, you hate to say that it, it's one onion and every story is peeling away a layer of that onion. And, 
it's hard for me to, you know, I wish there were one that stood out. The Easter egg thing sticks out. John mm-hmm. Adam was, was incredible. I think, uh, let's be honest, let's be honest. A lot of baseball players that I talk to um, are not exactly effusive <laughs> with their language. And some of the memories are very concise and too concise. But I, I talked to Ben Ogilvy. Who was an amazing? I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm, him. Sure, he he had some. What power. a neat guy! Very smart guy. We talked about you know his swing. We talked about his approach. We talked about his quick wrists, and that's the thing for me as a journalist. I love talking to these guys about what they did, what they felt in the morning when they put their feet on the ground, what kind of game they were going to have. You know, I mean, when you're going in day in day out, and uh, it's to me that kind of stuff that always fascinated me, you know, and, and some of the other guys, a lot of these were email memories, but some were conversation like Henry Aaron, obviously. And I talked to Wendy Selig Creeb, who was Bud's daughter. And I talked to police act for a couple hours. I talked to Gorman Thomas at length. I mean, when I say a couple hours, you know, on the phone, that's a long interview. And I talked to, um, you know, as I mentioned, Hank Aaron, but, Bob Harlan became a, a good pal. We talked for about three or four hours in his story. He he worked, oh, I'll tell you one more that will come to mind. Harlan worked, uh, he was a Marquette grab, editor of the paper. And then he went and worked for uh, St. Louis and PR. Then he went up to the Packers. So, I mean, he had a really neat little three jobs in his career. I had three jobs last week. And uh, <laughs> he... Uh, he talked about that, and then um, there was another one there. I had it, but I lost it. I'm sorry, Warren. Well, you know what? Let me let me say this, Jim. I would encourage anybody out there to get a copy of the book. It's it's really terrific. It's fun. You don't have to read it in one sitting. You pick it up. You read a couple of memories. You put. Well, you it know, down. it's funny you should say that because it's not a coffee table book, but it is a coffee table yeah, book because. Yeah. You know, it's three pounds, so when I bail it out to you, it's going to be a three-pound book. And um, so I tell people, yeah, put it on your uh, coffee table so when you're waiting for something to go out to dinner, they can look at some of these memories, yeah, you know, while you're waiting for somebody to cut ready. And I, and I think that that's, that's the beautiful thing about this. It's one of those things you can leave there and someone goes, oh, my God, I remember that. Or, yeah. wow, what a beautiful memory. And I should say that some of the memories I got from... Um, Del Crandall's kids, uh-huh. who passed away, passed away recently, and they were just—they were so grateful for the opportunity to, you know, pay respects to their father, who was, you know, passed away recently. But, you know, and I had people that um, I don't know. You think even the smallest memories, Warren, when people can share that, you know, maybe it wasn't like earth-shattering, but it was special to them to remember all these years later. And I think that, you know, that's the thing that's tickled me the most is that they remembered that after 50, 60 years, you know, and, and it stayed with them. And like they may not be monumental in terms of what happened, but they were monumental to them. And I think that's what makes the book neat. Mm-hmm. Well, on Story Parkway, remembering County Stadium, a lot of fun. Yeah, if you want it, my name is Jim Crines, just J- Jim, C-R-Y-N-S at gmail.com. I'll get it back to you. You know, I'm I'm real good about that, and I'll send you the book. We can talk later about, you know, send me an email and say you want it, and I'll get back to you. But I really think that some of you folks would really enjoy it, as Warren has said. It's a it's it's really a labor of love. I worked two and a half years on this project, and um, it's it's really something that I'm 
most proud of of anything I've ever done, just because I, I act as a conduit for all this love for this old dilapidated shack <laughs> and what it represented. You know, if we're talking about this thing 21 years after they ripped it down, how many other stadiums do they talk about? I mean, do they? I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are there stadiums that they reminisce about this much? I'm sure. Some some parks they do, but um, I don't know. It's something about this old hunk of junk that people still love. That's awesome, Jim. I want to thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes, and um, I hope I get to talk to you again. My pleasure, Warren. Thank you so much. You got it. So a few other details for you about Milwaukee County Stadium. Ground was broken to build the stadium on October 19th, 1950, and it opened on April 6th, 1953. The cost to build it was $5.9 million. Now, with inflation, they calculate that figure to be just about $57 million in today's dollars. (laughs) Not a lot. The Braves played there from 1953 through 1965, and the Packers played there from 1953 through 1994 on a part-time basis. The Brewers moved in in 1970 and played there until 2000. The stadium was demolished on February the 21st, 2001. One other interesting note about the stadium. Years ago, I wanted real stadium seats for my home office. I searched eBay and found a set of wooden seats from County Stadium. Pretty reasonable, too. The cost was just over $200. So I bought them, built a base for them so they could be used, clean them up, and they sit in my office. Just a cool thing to have. Anyway... I would like to thank my guest, Jim Crines, once again. And if you would like a copy of his book on Story Parkway, remember, you have to reach out to Jim on email. That's jimcrines at gmail.com. Again, jimcrines at gmail.com. J-I-M-C-R-Y-N-S at gmail.com. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, I'm going to talk about a pitcher who had a pretty good career, but when it came to pitching in the World Series, without exaggeration, he might be one of the greatest World Series pitchers of all time, and yet his name is not one at the top of mind of any baseball fan, and I bet it's a name that very few remember. Monty Pearson. That's next time. For now, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.